0: Well, it's great to have you, and my name is uh, Pastor Bob Kedlisek. I've been a pastor at Bridgewater Church for one-twelfth of its 215 year existence. Um, You can do the math, but sometimes it's good to have a historical perspective on things because we then see how small and how short our part is. And this is especially true when we're talking about Israel. Uh, There is so much history that is there. And we're going to look at God's word about the history of Israel in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to just talk about some of the modern uh, history of the nation of Israel. A lot of us are familiar with the Holocaust, where six million Jews were killed by Nazi Germany. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the Holocaust didn't just happen because of the Nazis. The Holocaust happened because the rest of the world hated, and didn't care about Jews either. From 1939 to 1948, the United States had a 10,000 person limit to refugees that were Jewish. Only 10,000. in fact, in 1939, it came before Congress to make an exception. Could we take in 20,000 Jewish children refugees from Germany, Nazi Germany? And the U.S. Congress voted it down. In fact, the wife of the U.S. uh, Commissioner on Immigration was quoted at a cocktail party at that time, and she said, she said, uh, the problem with 20,000 Jewish children is that they'll grow up to be 20,000 ugly adults. You see the prevailing attitude in America then, and the prevailing attitude around the entire world for thousands of years has been hatred and animosity toward Jews. This is a survey from 1939. And it says, it's been proposed to bring to this country 10,000 refugee children from Germany, most of them Jewish. Should the government permit these children to come? 30% of Americans said yes. 61% said absolutely not. We have enough of those filthy Jews in our country already. This is the attitude. Why? Why do so many in the world hate Jews so much I mean, certainly there have been other ethnic groups that have done so much more harm. What is special? What is different about Jews? And thinking about the immigration crisis of the 1930s and 1940s in Europe with the Jews, it just reminds me, and this is a little aside, but it just reminds me of an immigration crisis that's going on in our border right now. Did you realize it's staggering? One out of every 60 people in the United States of America has come here in the last two years. Over five million people, most of them illegally, flooding over the borders and we can just wring our hands and shout at the moon about it or whatever, but honestly, Bridgewater Church has been doing something about this. And in a way that you're never gonna hear about on the news. We have partnered with Food for the Hungry in Guatemala and we've done this for over 50, I think about 15 years. And in two communities now, Shapune and Combalum, And in these communities, we've we've worked through Food for the Hungry staff to tell them the gospel and about how Jesus loves them and cares about them and, and how they can and we're educating them, they're educating them to learn Spanish and, and to, to learn about hygiene and how to have alternative forms of income. And, and so it's interesting that that recently we had a video from Food for the Hungry. And uh, they were talking about the two greatest challenges facing their community. The communities we were working in. The first is school dropouts. And now we knew that was a challenge because when we came to Kambalam and Chapune with Food for the Hungry to start, uh, the average dropout age was second or third grade for kids. That's when you stopped going to school and started working in the fields. In fact, many girls would get married at 13 or 14 years of age. Time for a family. And now that has just so changed and been transformed. Because now I, most of the kids go to 7th, 8th grade. Many of them finish high school, go to college. It's just, just radically different. And, and we and you are a part of that if you sponsor Kids through Food for the Hungry in Guatemala. And I know my, my wife and I sponsor Felipe and we sponsored Marta in the past and have been doing this for years. And, and I just want to challenge you to do that because here's the second thing that she said, the biggest problem in our community, school dropouts and family migration. One out of every 19 Guatemalans lives in the United States. They are leaving the country By the hundreds of thousands because they have no hope. And here's where food for the hungry comes in. They are helping these people understand and see that you can have a future right here. In your own community, you don't have to leave. Fathers, you don't have to abandon your families and go to America to make a living. You can make a living here. You can have a future here. And it's just so exciting to be a part of that. And yes, it's not going to change everything on a big scale, but I'm not the president. I'm not elected to Congress. Probably neither are any of you. And this is something we can do to help. And I just want to challenge you to do that. There's a web link here, Outreach. If you forget that. And you go to the website, you just click on, on Ministries, and then you'll see that tab underneath saying Outreach, and it'll take you right to a place where you can find out more and even sponsor a child for $35 a month. And um, it's, it's, it's important. But, but the migration crisis in the United States, unprecedented. But throughout human history, the Jewish migration issue has been a problem. And so in 1947, after World War II, the United Nations declared Israel to be a Jewish uh, nation. Actually, they partitioned it to have parts that Jews could live in. And, And I always thought that this was out of incredible guilt. Like all these world leaders who knew what was going on. General population did not know what was going on inside Germany, but the world leaders did. And I thought, out of guilt, they created this Jewish, you know, area for Jews to go. But I've since read and realized that that wasn't the case. They w- didn't do it out of guilt. They do it, did it to solve the Jewish problem. And what was the Jewish problem? Hundreds of thousands of unwanted Jews in Europe and Russia that, that had nowhere to go. And America didn't want them. And Russia didn't want them. And, and where, where are you going to send? How are you going to solve the Jewish problem? And so the United Nations says, Oh, let's just all send them back to the area where they're the indigenous people. Let's send them back to Israel. And uh, so that's what started happening by the hundreds of thousands. And then uh, the day after the British troops removed themselves and left Israel, the Jews declared an Israeli nation there. And almost immediately after that, five Arab nations declared war on Israel and they sent troops and tanks and uh, an army into what is now Israel. And so this is kind of a map of things. You have Egypt invading from the south, you have Jordan invading from the east, you have Syria invading from the north with troops and, and arms from Iraq and, and Lebanon, and all invading this little tiny, the West Bank was then or, owned by Jordan, this little tiny strip of land, smaller than New Jersey. Right? To wipe it off the face of the earth. And what a lot of people don't realize though, is that during World War II, 1.5 million of the allied troops, that's troops from Great Britain and America and even Russia and, and France, 1.5 million of them were Jews. In fact, 200,000 Jews died fighting for the, the Russian army against Nazi Germany in World War II. And many hundreds of thousands of those veterans from World War II came and fled to Israel and they helped turn the tide of the war and they fought back these five, Jew- five Arab armies to outside of their borders and the Jewish state was secured. At the same time, Russia and the United States declared Israel to be, they recognized it as a Jewish state as well. But why is it that the world hates Jews so much? One quarter of the world believes Jews are responsible for most of the wars in the world. What? What? really it's just in fact you've probably heard these things that did you know september 11th 2001 that that zero Jews showed up for work in the World Trade Center. Have you heard these lies and these, these things that aren't true? You can you can look at the list of people who were killed in the World Trade Center. Hundreds of them are Jews. Actually, a larger percentage than than the normal percentage of the U.S. population were killed in the 9-11 attacks by Jews. And yet people say, no, 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 the Jews caused it. The Jews orchestrated it. It's all this somehow, you know, it's their problem. Over two billion people on earth think Jews are the, one of the the biggest problems in the planet. Why? It doesn't make any sense. In fact, 20% of 18 to 29 year olds in the United States think the Holocaust was a myth or greatly exaggerated. And I'm telling you, the United States is less anti-Semitic than the rest of the world. Much of the rest of the world. Why are the Jews hated so much? Well, this goes back thousands of years where this starts and that's where we're going to go. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis to see where some of this hatred of the Jewish people starts and it starts right at the beginning of the Jewish people. It says in Genesis 16:1, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had been able, not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. He, here's the thing. In that culture, in that day and age, if you were a wife and you couldn't have kids, you were seen as a complete and total failure. And and not only did you feel like you were a failure, everybody else would have thought you're a failure. This is the most important thing, the most important contribution you could make in your family, in your community, and you didn't do it. Um, That's the situation Sarai was in. Desperate, desperate situation. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed. Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. And I'm going to probably confuse this a little bit. But Sarai becomes Sarah. Later, God renames her. Abram becomes Abraham. God renames him a little bit later as well. Um, but what, what's going on here? This is just bizarre, Right? Uh, this would never be something we would do, but there's two factors here. Number one, we don't understand the incredible shame and, and pressure that was on a woman to have children. And so that was seen as the most important thing that you could possibly contribute to your family, to your husband, and to your community would be to have kids. And Sarai wasn't doing it. So, so in Sarai's own mind, she was a complete failure. But it's worse than that because not only was she a complete failure in her own mind, she was a complete failure to everyone else around her because she couldn't have kids. And, and so in that day and in that culture, for, for women who were wealthy, there was a way around this. It was kind of like surrogacy where they would take a servant and say, hey, my husband sleep with the servant. And then that servant's child would become my child and take away my shame and disgrace and and. And things would be better. And so that was completely culturally acceptable. In fact, even seen as a positive thing culturally. But did you know that God doesn't follow our culture? That that there are things that our culture say is right and even virtuous that God says is wrong. And, And this is the case here as well. And, and she wants to do this, but this is not God's way. And, and so they do. They have, they, they go ahead with it. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as his wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. And they go ahead with it. Even though it's Sarai's plan, Abram agrees with it. It's mostly Abram's fault because leadership in biblically, really rests on the man, which means almost everything everything in a marriage really is at least 51% the man's fault. And so Abraham is is complicit in this. He goes ahead with it. But lo and behold, it works. Their problem is solved. Hagar has a son named Ishmael. I I don't know if you realize this, but disobedience to God often works but then also creates an even greater problem than the one it solved. And that's where we need to trust God. We need to trust him, the, you, you know, and, and not try to do things our way. There, there may be some, someone here, someone listening, and uh, you're single. Maybe you've been waiting as a single person for a long time because God says, you know, you only should marry someone who has your faith, if you are a Christian following Jesus Christ, you should only marry someone who's a Christian following Jesus Christ like you are. And so maybe you've been waiting. Like Sarai, you've been waiting. I mean, at, at this point in her life, she's 76 years old. She's been waiting, you know, and, and nothing has happened. And she came to the place that I've waited long enough. It's time, it's time for my plan. It's time for me to do what, what I need to do. And, and that, that's just not God's way. Be patient and, and wait on God. Um, well, the baby is born, but, but things go badly. Hagar begins to lord it over her, her, her boss, Sarai. And she, she shows her disdain because she's like, I did what you couldn't do. I'm more of a woman than you are. I'm more important than you are. Because, you know, you say this is your adopted son, but we all know whose son it is. It's my son. And Sarah, in response to this, the Bible says, treats Hagar harshly. She, she could have been beating her. She, she, it, it was an awful situation, the conflict that developed. And so Hagar flees for her life and takes Ishmael with her. And, and they're out in the desert and they're, they're, they're in need. And the angel of the Lord appears to her. And he says, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you're now pregnant and will give birth to a son. Sorry, this is before Ishmael was born. You are to name him Ishmael which mean God hears for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And this son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes. He will live in open hostility against all his relatives. And, and this is what God's first prophecy about Ishmael and his descendants. And, um, He goes, Hagar does go back and she does give birth to Ishmael and, and he does grow up. And then of course, in addition to that, Abraham and Sarah have a baby each with, you know, after Sarah is 90 years old when it happens. I mean, she had to wait such a long time for God's way. Um, But, but eventually it came through. But this prophecy is really interesting about Ishmael because Ishmael's descendants Whether they are genetically his descendants or spiritually his descendants, the Arabs claim to be the descendants of Ishmael, both genetically and spiritually. And it's interesting because their scriptures have a similar story. And the angel says a similar thing to Hagar, but in one way, it's different. They say everyone will be against him. He will raise his fist against everyone. Their prophecy says he will rule with his hand over everyone, with his fist over everyone, and that is what they believe their destiny is to rule. And part of their destiny is they believe that everyone will be against them. And in some ways, that's been a self-fulfilling prophecy. But but that's that's the case uh, even today about the Arab nations. Uh, going to this map here. This is Israel. This is Gaza. In October. Palestinians from Gaza invaded Israel, killing over a thousand men, women, children, and even babies in their attack, gleefully slaughtering children. Uh, they videotaped themselves and posted this. It's undeniable. And, and they, they're from this little strip of land called Gaza. Gaza is five times smaller than Broome County. It's six times smaller than Susquehanna County and has over 2.2 million people in it. Why? There's actually no such thing as a Palestinian. The Palestinians are basically Arabs from other surrounding nations. They're Egyptian Arabs. They're Syrian Arabs. They're Lebanese and Jordanian Arabs. And they all live in Palestine. Why are there so many people in such a small packed area? Because their Arab brothers don't want them. They they have a border here with, with Egypt and here's what it looks like. Two walls, two fences with razor wire and armed patrols. Egyptians don't want the, the, the Palestinian Egyptians. They don't want their, their Arab nationals who, who, are, who came from Egypt or who are the children of those who came from Egypt. They don't want them in their country. Why? Why? In fact, this is the only border, and this is a picture before October. Now they have huge cement barricades up so that there is no border crossing between, you know, Gaza and Egypt now, at least legally. They've, they have tunnels underneath that they covertly smuggle things through. But, but why, why are these Arab nations? Well, it's because Genesis 16, the angel prophesies, yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. He says, you're, you're going to be against everybody, even your own kin. And so why are there 2.2 million Arabs living in, in Gaza? Because Jordan doesn't want them. Because Syria doesn't want them back. Because Egypt doesn't want them back. And no other nation on earth wants them either. And they live in open hostility against all his relatives. And here, here's something I, I just want to challenge you with Shortcuts don't work. Shortcuts don't work. 4,000 years ago, Abram and Sarai came up with a plan of a shortcut. And and it seemed like it worked. It, it, It allowed them to have a child 14 years earlier than when God wanted them to have a child. But in the end, it brought more problems and more difficulties than, than they, they could possibly have imagined. There has been so much killing and bloodshed because of this, this one decision that they made all those years ago. And I just want to challenge you. Where are you trying to take a shortcut in your life? You know, may, maybe it is in dating and you're just not willing to wait anymore. And, and you're willing to, this, this man, he's just a nice man. Yes, he's not a Christian, but, but he's, he's really sweet. Or she's really beautiful and she's really nice. And yes, she's not a Christian, but, but you know, I, I, I've, I've been waiting like Sarah. I've been waiting. I waited 10 years. I waited 20 years. I waited all my life. And God's way isn't working. And it's time for me to, to do my way. Shortcuts don't work. Maybe, maybe it's a financial shortcut you've made. That's what debt is most of the time. Yes, I can't afford the car. No, I can't afford this vacation, but I want it now. And boy, there's this person selling me debt. And it's a shortcut. And, it'll, it'll, and you know what? It'll work. It'll allow you to get what you want now, but it often creates greater problems down the road. And if you're struggling with debt, I want to encourage you. We're, we're starting a Financial Peace University here in Montrose. It'll be on the 14th um, at 1045. And you can go to that link and and... It, Acknowledge your interest if you're from another campus or near another campus. uh, They they may start on other dates and you can go there and sign up and and we'll get in contact with you. But this is just a great program because to help you get out of some of those shortcuts you might have made that wound up not being shortcuts. And um, my, my dad loved shortcuts growing up. I remember riding with him so many times. But here's what a shortcut was for my dad. It meant avoiding a traffic light. And so I don't know how many times like we would go through like 12 stop signs, and it would take five minutes longer, but we didn't stop instead of a traffic light, you know. And, and we were just like, oh yeah, dad shortcut. It's longer in the end. And just this last week, uh, just a couple days ago, actually, I was up in Vestal. We were doing our shopping, and I was on the Vestal Parkway, and I was going to turn right on Reno Boulevard, go up toward, you know, actually I was going to turn left to go down toward uh, Sam's. And uh, But the left-hand turn signal, it had just turned red. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll turn right on Reno Boulevard. I'll do a U-turn. And I'll come down to that light and I'll get through quicker. And so that's exactly what I did. And, and then the light turned and I got, but there was too many cars in front of me and I got stuck at that light. And I watched where I would have been and could have been going before me. And I thought, I have turned into my father. Trying to avoid, trying a shortcut that ultimately took longer and made things worse. There there are no spiritual shortcuts. Zero. The fastest way and the best way for you to get to point A to point B is what God has laid out in his word. And anything else is not a shortcut. It's a detour. And it's often a very costly and a very painful detour. When I was up in New York as a pastor, there's a woman who came to me after prayer meeting. And she said, I'm losing my eyesight. I'm going blind. They've tried everything. Nothing's worked to slow the progression. But they have this experimental thing. And it involves the irises of aborted fetuses. And I mean, these babies, these innocent babies, they were going to be killed anyway. I mean, they're already dead. I mean, what would be wrong with harvesting their eyes so I could see? And and I I told her, I said, I think that's wrong. That's a shortcut. That, that, That may solve the problem, but that's not what God wants you to do. She went and did it anyway. It was experimental. Didn't help. Now, even if it did, don't, we, we need to not take shortcuts. There are very real situations that we're faced with where we think the easiest thing to do, and I think the best thing in the long term will be to lie, will be to take a shortcut, will be to disobey God. We need to trust God because shortcuts don't work. What, what shortcut are you tempted to take? today? What shortcut at work? What shortcut in your marriage? What shortcut with your friends? What shortcut with God and, and what his word says? What, what sin is there that you would say, you know what? But, but God's way isn't working. It's time for my way. You need to trust God. The story goes on. Abraham bowed down to the ground. This is where God comes back to Abraham over 13 years after Ishmael is born and says to him, you're going to have a child and Sarah's going to be pregnant. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of a hundred? He thought, and how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? And so Abraham said to God, and so he, he, he had this amazing, you know, conversation with God, but, but he also go the very next verse. He says, okay, you're saying I'm going to have a kid. I can't, that's hard to believe. How, what about Ishmael? How come you can't bless Ishmael? Have you ever done that? Taken a shortcut and then ask God, God, could you please bless my shortcut? Could you please like fix this, even though it wasn't your will? And God's response is really interesting. His initial response is no. No. No, Abram, Ishmael wasn't a shortcut. He was a detour. I am going to do what I said I was going to do. But then there's great grace in God's answer. Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. But then he talks about Ishmael and he says, and I will bless Ishmael. And there's just incredible grace in that. This this is not talking about shortcuts and and all of this. and, And this next principle is so important. What if we learn to obey God the first time? <laughs> so important. But you know what? Even if you didn't obey God the first time, God is gracious. He did bless Abram's sin with, with Ishmael. He did bless Ishmael. Um, we, we need to, as, as we, as you listen to this today, as you evaluate your life, you really need to realize this isn't about your past. Cry out to God about your past. Get his forgiveness. He he will be gracious. He will be merciful. This is about your present and future. Just determine today, starting today. This isn't about your divorce, however many years ago. This isn't about how you, 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 you cheated or you lied or whatever, your sin, your addiction of the past. This is about right now. Right now, are you ready to obey God the first time? And then as you do that, we need to recognize that we need to live ready for the return of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. And he's, you know, talking about uh, when he's going to return and and the events of the tribulation. He says, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. So we're going to be talking in the coming weeks about, uh, among other things, about some of the things that the Bible says has to happen before Jesus returns. And the fact is, so many of those things have already happened. And he could return for his church at any moment. Are you ready? That's what he's saying. Stay alert. Be on guard. Be ready. Are you ready for Jesus' return? Is there anything in your life right now that you need to stop doing? Is there anything you need to start doing? Like, I encourage you to get out a three-by-five card. Get out a piece of paper. Get get one somewhere, you know, right now. And on the one side, you need to write down something God wants me to stop doing. Something that if Jesus were to return tomorrow, you would be like, I'm so glad I wasn't doing that. when When Jesus came and I saw him. And then on the back of that card, write down something that you need to start doing it's the beginning of the year. We're going to have available some um, devotionals for you to do. But you can go to, to um, YouVersion in the Bible, uh, Bible app that, that is free to download. And it has different devotional plans. And I'm reading through the Bible in a year doing that devotional plan. You can do lots of great ones there. But, but what is something you need to start? What is something that God would want you to do now to be ready when he comes back? Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus were to return next week at like 6 a.m. And uh, maybe you're not, or, or just before you're going to work. Some of you are going to work before 6 a.m. Some of you it's later, but, but just before work, you are reading the Bible in a new habit and praying to him and then Jesus returned. Wouldn't that be so much better than you're sleeping and Jesus returned. Or then you're, you're scrolling Facebook and social media and Jesus returns. Like, don't be caught. Be ready for his return. I'm just going to fly through a couple of these things. Maybe to whet your appetite to study the Bible more about this. But the Bible says before Jesus returns, Israel must be a nation. That happened in 1948. After almost 1,900 years of not being a nation, Israel all of a sudden became a nation again. That has never happened in the history of humanity. That a nation has gone that long or even half that long, not existing and then all of a sudden existing. It was unprecedented. It was un... People said that will never happen. The Bible is clearly not true. And in 1948, it happened. But they didn't retain Jerusalem at that point. But in 1967, they, they got Jerusalem. In fact, Israel has fought 18 wars and insurgencies since the beginning of Israel, 75 years ago. People hate Israel. It is the center. There's no oil there. And yet everyone wants that land. Things before Jesus returns. Things that will happen during the tribulation. The Jewish temple is defiled, which means the Jewish temple has to be rebuilt. Did you know that they are ready to do that? There are organizations in Israel. Jews who have all of the golden menorah and the, and the, the altar and the lampstands and, and all of this stuff is ready. And, and the one remaining thing was they didn't have a perfectly red heifer to, to slaughter in order to consecrate the priests. And in 2022, just, just recently, 2022, they finally were able to breed a red heifer. They had been extinct and so they've been able to rebreed though, that, those cows and they were perfectly red. And so now they're ready. Everything is ready to rebuild the Jewish temple, which God says is going to happen before Jesus comes back. And, and during the tribulation, the Jewish temple will be defiled. The Euphrates River is going to dry up. That's in the, in the tribulation. And, and right now it's at half its level lower. Why? Because Turkey has made dams and then Iraq has made dams. And if they want to, they can literally shut off. This would be like shutting off the Mississippi river. I mean, it's unthinkable that the Euphrates would dry up, but things are in place now so that they could dry up the Euphrates river to allow an army to march across it as, as revelation predicts a seven year covenant is made before between Israel and many nations, The United Nations, climate change in Dubai recently, COP28, seven-year covenant. Now, is this the seven-year covenant that that the Bible talks about? No, but it's interesting that the United Nations and also the European Union are into making seven-year covenants. Why seven years? Why not five or ten or four? Why seven? Because the Bible says in Revelation that a covenant is made between Israel and many nations. And so, is, is, does this mean that the, the United Nations is, is going to be is led by the Antichrist? Or no, 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 none of that. No, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is the infrastructure for what the Bible predicts in Revelation is all coming into place. And this last one, a mark on your hand or forehead is needed to buy anything. According to Revelation, I think it's chapter 9. And uh, there's this great technology, Walletmore. They insert something about the size of a piece of rice on your hand and then you never lose your credit card information. It can never be stolen because it's literally in your hand. Now you wave your credit card, now you can just wave your hand. Tens of thousands of people, mainly in Europe, have taken this. Over 50% of Europeans say, yeah, I'd be interested in getting that. Revelation says, without a mark on your hand, you will not be able to buy or sell anything. Is this the mark of the beast? No. It's the technology and infrastructure that's all coming together all across the world in line with what God's word predicts and says will happen in the future. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Because He's coming back, and we're not going to pick any dates, and we're not going to make any predictions, and we're not naming the Antichrist or, or pointing to this or that. We're just saying the infrastructure. Is ready and it's more ready now than ever before. And it's amazing, one after another, things that seemed impossible years ago are not just impossible anymore, not just possible, even, they're probable. Are you living ready? Is there something in your life you need to stop? Is there something in your life you need to start? And one of the things we're going to talk about is we as believers, if you are following Jesus Christ, this is a message for believers. Some of you are watching this. You don't believe any of this. I hope it piques your curiosity, but this is for believers. And we want to bring as many people as possible with us to glory and to be with Jesus. We we don't want. The tribulation. We don't, we don't want people to suffer. We want people to know Jesus Christ. And are you living for him? Are you following him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are the first and the last, the beginning and the end, that everything is according to your plan and according to your will, And that your will is coming to pass. God, help us not to fight it. Help us not to try to find shortcuts. Help us to be patient and to follow you and to love you and to love people. Until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.